study in 1 Corinthians to do just a special Easter message, but I realized that the verse that we're on fits really well with Easter, and then the more I thought about it, I realized that Easter fits with pretty much any scripture, because Easter is where it all takes on a special meaning. Nothing else would really matter if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, but because he did rise from the dead, it speaks much to us as as well as empowering us to be the people that God calls us to be. In this chapter, Paul's been talking about love. And he first talked about how important love is, that if you aren't showing love in your life, really everything else you do will be a waste. And that's certainly the truth. And then as we go through the chapter, he's, for the most part, been telling us what love isn't. Because... Love is something that we all have when we become Christians, certainly. God places his love within us, and yet we have to learn to not choke that love out. We have to learn to allow that love to be communicated and to live itself out. And so sometimes, though we do love, we don't seem to love. And sometimes because of our own resistance to it, we don't even see that God loves us as he does. And so 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love isn't like this, and love isn't like that, and it's not when you do this. But now as we've come to verse 7, we see four qualities of love that in a lot of ways really nails down a lot of what love is, that which we appreciate the most about love, and that's that which we need to, to show forth in our lives so much. And so let's look at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. The love is understood because it's what he's been talking about. But he says, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love endures all things. And really the all things isn't uh, part of the translation. It's really all. It bears all believes all, hopes all, endures all. It's really talking about the all-encompassing nature of God's love. That it's in the same way that when we talk about God, we say that in his power, he's all-powerful. We talk about in his presence that he's omni or all-present. We talk about his knowledge as being all-knowing or omniscient. In These areas, we see things that God is completely, and his love is. and It's what we all want in our lives, really, these reflections. The first one, love bears all things. The word bear to us sounds like, oh, love will put up with anything. But that's really not what it's meaning. The the original word here in the Greek is the word for roof, the word for a structure that covers something. And really what it's talking about is that how, how love makes us protective and how feeling love makes us feel protected. The word became bearing because, you know, how we talk about a roof or a wall being a bearing wall, it, it uh, hold, carries the burden. Ultimately, the root of the word, though, is to cover or to protect. It's one of the first things that we notice when we feel love for someone else is we want to protect them. We want to be there against anything that would attack them, anything that would make them difficult. It's a part of the nature of love that it is protective. 
a part of friendship that we appreciate so much is when we have a friend who we know will be there to cover us, to, to watch our back, someone that we can count on, and again, it, it covers all, it bears all, it protects all. Good times or bad times, you know they'll be there to protect you. A beautiful picture that we have in nature of this is the way a mother hen protects her chicks. A mother hen doesn't have a lot of weapons at her disposal. But the one thing that a mother hen has is she will lay herself on her little baby chickens and give her own life in order to protect the babies. When, when there's danger about, the mother hen spreads its wings and makes a certain noise, and the little chicks come running and hide under its wings, and, and she covers them tightly. There are stories that we've all heard of times when there was a fire or a disaster, and they find a mother hen who has died, but they remove her charred body and the little chicks come running out and they've been protected. It's, it's the ultimate picture of what protective love is. Jesus used that picture when he looked at people who had rejected him. He looked over Jerusalem in John's gospel and he was weeping. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets, how I longed to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks but you would not. He says, I spread my arms out. I, I wanted to give myself for you. And I called, but you wouldn't respond. You wouldn't accept my protection. But love in its essence is protective, is wanting to care for someone else and protect them. And you have good friends indeed if you have people who are watching your back. You have, you're blessed if there are some people that you know, no matter what anybody else says about you, they will be there to stick up for you. That if you were in trouble, they would be there. And this is what love does. And not just a little bit, it does it to a great extent. Now, again, people will always let us down. But that's what we're looking for in relationships. And, you know, right away, when you think about love in its initial formative stages, when you start to fall in love with someone of the opposite sex, or, or other loves, like when you first hold a little baby in your arms, and you look at them, and you would do anything to protect them. You would do anything to, to guard them against anything that would assault them. You just have that protective instinct that kicks in. And he's saying, that's, that's a part of love, that protection. We, I know yesterday we went on a motorcycle ride, and nowadays, thanks to legislators who are caring about us, you have to wear a helmet. And, you know, today it's not as big of a deal. When I had hair, I liked to feel the wind going through it, but, you know, now it's really not much of an issue. I've put on a helmet without thinking twice. But a helmet gives you some protection over that part of you that's the most sensitive. It covers you. It offers... Now, it doesn't do that perfectly. Uh, usually, if you really have a, a problem on a motorcycle, the best thing the helmet does is keep all the pieces in one can. But, you know, it's there to try to protect you where you are most vulnerable. 
And love does that. It covers. Now he goes on to say, not only is love protective, it bears all things, but it also believes all things. Love is based in belief. In fact, when you say believing all, it means you really believe. You believe to whatever extent it takes in order to have that foundational certainty that's built into you that you believe in another person and that there's a belief that you have that causes you to be there for them extensively. You know, and again, part of what causes us to to love someone is we see something in them that's worth believing in. Ultimately, the love that we have is best founded in a belief in, in God's Word. Because I've learned that this Bible is really all that I can completely trust. It's what I believe in that I depend on completely. If everything else lets me down, this book is something that I can trust because God has said it. And I listen to what he says and I believe in him. I believe that he is there for me. I believe that he loves me, which then allows me to, in turn, reach out and to show faith in others and to extend that faith and to share my faith with others and let them know what I believe as a result of the fact that what God has done in my life has changed me. When I see him working in me, it frees me up to work in others. And he says, that's what love is. It has a faith. It has a belief. Belief. It, it has a, a trust, really. And, you know, there are people who have a hard time trusting other people. We say, oh, yeah, they have trust issues. And usually it's because they've been let down by others, feel that they've been deserted by others, disappointed in some way by others. But see, the problem is, in life, when we trust people too much, they do let us down. Ultimately, though, we have a God that we can trust. We have a God in whom we place our faith. We have a God in whom we believe. Whenever people do something that lets us down, if it affects our relationship with God, what we're showing is that we were trusting in the wrong things. Our belief was founded somewhere where it really didn't belong. On Wednesday night, as we're studying through Jeremiah, there was a passage where Jeremiah said, whoever trusts in men will be cursed. Because ultimately, if you put all your faith in people, they're going to let you down. All people will. But the beautiful thing is, trust and belief that's placed in one who is trustworthy, ultimately, when we trust God, then we understand and realize that he is never going to let us down. He is always believable. He is always trustworthy. And as a result, then, when our trust is in God, we also find that we can trust other people. We can trust them, but we're not absolutely dependent on them. We trust them, realizing they're human, realize they can let us down, but we go, trusting in someone isn't going to devastate me unless I'm only trusting in them. But if my ultimate faith is in God, if I'm depending on Him the way I should, then I'm free to also trust others. 
You show me someone who's getting disappointed all the time in other people letting them down, and I'll show you someone who focused their belief in the wrong direction. You show me someone who's not able to show love to others, and I'll show you someone who really isn't living out that belief that they say they have. What do you really believe? We can all talk a good game, and it's easy to say, yep, I believe the whole Bible, I believe everything that God says. But do I really? Does that stand the test of difficulties and trials? And does that really hold up? Because the truth is, as I heard someone say one time, of course we only actually believe in the parts of the Bible that we do. It's only when we live consistently with what the Word says that we really believe it. Our failure to follow through on what God tells us is simply because when it comes down to it, we just don't believe some of the things that he tells us. He says that he'll take care of us, but we'll, we'll live in fear if we don't believe it. He says that his power is greater than all the powers of evil that surround us, but hey, if, if we don't believe him, then we'll give ourselves over to being just chewed up and spit out by, by that which is a lie by that which isn't, isn't real at all. It's just a, it's a, a voice of one who can only fake you out. To really believe what God says, of course it results in a life change. We then do what he tells us to do if we really believe in him. But where that belief is faced is just critical in order for us to live lives of love, lives of consistency in lives that reflect actual faith in God, to enable us to be people who trust in God. Now he goes on to say, love hopes all things. And again, the word hope in the Bible isn't used in exactly the way that we would use it. Um, I would say, oh, I hope that I'm going to win the lottery. But I mean, I don't even buy lottery tickets, so it's going to be really hard for that to happen. But the truth is, if you buy a bunch of lottery tickets every day and I never buy them, you hope you're going to win it. I might as well hope I'm going to win it because the odds are almost the same that either one of us is going to win it. You know, I hope my hair will grow back. But I'm really not every day looking in the mirror expecting it to happen. You know, there are things that we use the word hope for as if, eh, it's a long shot, but sure, I'd love for it to happen. But when the Bible uses the word hope, it's something completely different. When the Bible talks about hope, it's talking about knowing that things are going to work out, knowing that God is going to come through, having a faith and confidence that things will be okay, that things will get better. Almost a better translation for, for hope, the way the Bible uses it, would be an optimistic expectancy. I expect good things to happen. Why? Because love does that. And again, think about it. When you, when you first fall in love with someone, you have great plans for the future. You think it's going to be awesome. You just... Your dreams are being lived out, and you just know it's going to be so amazing. In some ways, if you really knew what it was going to be like, you wouldn't have that hope. You'd give up on love. But love gives you a hope and a confidence. It's the same thing, again, when a baby's born. You look at that little baby, and 
you, you don't realize that someday he's going to grow up to be a teenager. You, you're just like, oh, my kid's going to be perfect. They're everything I've ever wanted. And, and you just have all these dreams and visions for their life. It's just a natural thing. You, again, you look at two people on their wedding day, and it's just all, you know, they're, they just can't imagine it's ever going to be difficult. But over the years, people turn more from that to what, you know, it says next, love endures all things. We, we turn it into an endurance race. Like, okay, initially, an anniversary isn't that big a deal. You know, when you're married, I mean, you have your whole future ahead of you, and it's just, you know, you're enjoying your, your relationship. But after a while, you start counting the years, and it becomes like a badge of honor, you know, like, like a prison tattoos of tears on somebody's face. It's like, yeah, 19 years, man. Oh, I've accomplished it. Like somebody that finishes a marathon, don't know what their time is, but they got a T-shirt. But that's not what love is. Love is always looking forward to and believing that even if things have been rough, they're going to get better it's a, it's a faith that causes us to say, because I know God, I know he's going to make things better. He's going to bless my life. He's going to give me hope. It's more than just the naive kind of looking forward to something because you don't really know what you're in for. But love believes better days are ahead. Good things are happening. And don't you love it when there are some people who are just that way? No matter what is going on, they have a feeling that, man, it's going to get better. It's going to be. Some people are so optimistic, and you wonder, where is that from? There are other people who can always tell you everything bad that's going to happen. If you get really excited about a good idea, then you go to that person, and they'll tell you why it's not going to work, why it's not going to be that way. You know, it seems like we are either basically looking at things and believing bad things are going to happen, or we're looking at things and going, man, I see a light at the end of the tunnel. I see good days that are ahead. Love gives that kind of a picture. Love gives that kind of perspective. Love wants to allow other people to feel like things are getting better. I, I read one time, I think it was Howard Hendricks, who said, when your memories become more exciting than your dreams, you're starting to die. In other words, when you want to think of something good, it's always by looking back. You feel like, yeah, my better days are ahead of me. And, I mean, life does this to us naturally, let's face it. When I was younger, I could convince myself when I was hitting a jump shot that I could probably play in the NBA someday. But as every year goes by, it's becoming less likely that I'm going to fulfill that dream. But am I looking for better things that God has? Do I feel like, okay, that didn't happen, but man, I have a God who loves me, and I know he wants to do good things for me, and I'm looking forward to the future. I'm looking forward to getting old. I'm looking forward to living my life out, doing whatever God brings before my path. Because the truth is that everything that I ever really wanted 
It, as I look back, if I had got what I wanted, I don't know that it would be better than... God's had a better plan for me than what I had for myself. And hope is something that causes us to look forward knowing that we have a God who wants to bless us, who is, who is constantly dreaming up ways to, to enrich our lives and to do good things for us. It's looking forward to the future. And then... Love endures all things. And again, the word there doesn't mean endure in the sense of just, oh, I'm going to gut it out and hold my breath and take it. The word there for endure just means it goes on. It lasts. You can count on it. It'll, it'll be there. You can turn your head and it's, it's still there. And that's what love does. And that's what these qualities do in our lives. They allow us to be able to relax knowing that we don't have to desperately hang on to people and things, knowing that we're okay. It's going to last. You know, everybody thinks every relationship they ever get in is going to endure. Some people don't. Some people nowadays get married with the idea that, well, if it doesn't work out, no big deal. I can cash them in and try again with somebody else. And so people have started to live their lives that way. And, you know, I know some people, after they've been divorced a few times, it, be, it becomes much easier, really, in some ways, because their attitude is, I mean, it's not like I haven't been divorced before. I'm already a divorced person, so I can keep trying. And as a result, you know, more than half of the people who get married end up getting divorced. It's not because they planned it, though, usually. It's because people are going to let us down. And sometimes the love that we feel is so deep, it, it just runs out. It fails us. We, we don't keep that commitment that, that we make. But what real love does is it can be counted on. It's going to last. It's going to be there. Now, when you look at this description of love, we would all say, man, that is what I'm looking for. That is what I want in life. And as a result, yes, I'd love to be that way for others. I, I want someone to watch my back. I want someone to protect me and cover me. Uh, I would like someone who really has a deep conviction that they know what they believe and they live in integrity consistently with that belief. And I'd love to have people in my life who who believe the best, who, who are always reminding me of all the good times that are ahead and, and great blessings that are, that are going to happen. And man, I'd like to have some people I can count on. They're just always going to be there. They're, I can't shake them, even if I wanted to. But the truth is, for most of us, as much as we want that, people in our lives have let us down and come short of that. Oh, they mean well. But just like us, none of us has the capacity to love in this way so greatly. We may think we do, but in reality, we're all going to have good days and bad days in fulfilling these ideals of relationship, these ideals of love. I think of Peter, 
the apostle. He loved Jesus so much. He was just devoted to him. He completely left his lifestyle and followed after Jesus. When Jesus was walking on the water, Peter got out and joined him and walked on the water himself. Deep commitment to the Lord. When Jesus began to talk about the fact that he was going to die, Peter was saying, no way. I'll protect you. Nobody's going to do anything to you. What a beautiful picture of protection. And then even in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the Roman soldiers came to take Jesus as a captive, Peter pulls his sword out and he goes, over my dead body. And he starts flailing away. Bless his heart. He was, he was, he was more loyal than he was effective with a sword. And so all the damage he could get was to hack Malchus's ear off. And then Jesus stuck it back on. And Peter's like, what? When Jesus had said that everyone would leave him, Peter had said, no way. Maybe He goes, all these other guys probably will. Wouldn't surprise me, but I'm not going to leave you. And Jesus said to Peter, hey, before you hear a rooster crow twice, you're going to deny me three times. And he goes from that bold swing of the sword, that loyalty. You, everyone should have one person in their life that would, that would defend them, that if you're in a battle, they're in it with you. But Peter, as loyal as he was, now a few hours later, little girl's asking him if he knew Jesus, and he's denying it. And then feeling so crushed as he had let the Lord down as they're taking Jesus away to kill him and Peter had flaked and hadn't been protective and loving as he wanted to. And every one of us have those moments, those, those moments when the love that's inside us, we would do anything for the ones that we love. But then something happens and we compromise or we let down or we come short of that which we should really do. And we have an opportunity to stick up for someone and we don't do it. We have the chance to, to really be there and give someone hope, but we listen to them and they're so depressed, it depresses us. And they go, I feel like my life's over. And we go, man, I think you're right. <laughs> we just can't always pump it up. We can't always make it happen, but we have an example of someone who does, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's where Easter comes in, and that's what's so beautiful and so important about the celebration of the resurrection. The resurrection is real. It's absolutely proven there isn't any way anybody could ever convince me Jesus didn't rise from the dead. It's the most established and proven fact that there is in all of existence. Jesus rose from the dead. How do I know that? Well, the Bible says it, but you know, other books say other things. But here's the deal. When Jesus rose from the dead, he came back. I mean, everyone knew he was dead. He, he bled out on the cross, and then was buried and guarded. And next thing you know, he's gone. His body's missing. His clothes are just there. And he shows up. He's walking around and talking. He's going, hey, guys, go ahead, touch me. Stick your hand in my wounds. You'll see I'm really alive. Now you go, ah, you just know that because the book tells you. No, not at all. Because history records very obviously that of these thousands of people who saw Jesus, it changed their life so much that at the threat of death, 
They hung on to the conviction that they had seen Jesus alive, that it was him, that he was real. And that rocked history. And that changes everything. Because those guys who saw him alive, when people held a, a, a sword to their throat and said, deny that Jesus rose from the dead and you'll live, or you keep saying that he raised from the dead and we're going to take your head off. And they said, go ahead, take my head off. I can't deny it. It's true. He rose from the dead. Now, oh, you go, oh, yeah, the disciples kind of made the story up. Made the story up and died for it? They weren't pulling in big offerings and driving fancy cars because of being a member of that church. They were getting killed for that church, for that conviction. And yet, to a man, nobody ever came forward and said, okay, okay, it was, it was symbolic. He rose in a spiritual sort of way. And it, No, they go, look, he rose from the dead, okay? Kill me, I don't care, because Jesus said, because I live, you will live also. He did it first, and he says, hey, you'll rise too if you keep your faith in me. But the only thing they were afraid of was giving up their faith in him and then facing death. Death is the ultimate thing that we all face, that we all would have to worry about if Easter wasn't true, if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead. But he did rise from the dead. And that's a powerful truth to understand that there is someone who protected me so much that they killed him for it. And yet today, he's risen from the dead. And what's he doing? He's still protecting me. Because I still sin, and he, it says in Hebrews chapter 7, he lives forever to make intercession for me. So when I mess up and sin, the enemy comes and goes, look at Dave, he's being phony again. Look at him, he's being prideful. Look, he said something hurtful to someone else. And it's true. And then Jesus says, yeah, it's true, Dave's still doing that stuff. But I forgave him. I paid the price. I died for him. Oh man, what incredible protective covering. He's got me covered. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses me from all my sin, past, present, and future. He, he loves me that much. What a powerful picture of love is his protection of me. And belief, he's not asking me to believe anything that hasn't been absolutely proven. And he is someone who believes in me. He is someone who, as he hung on that cross, he saw me and he saw you and he goes, you guys are worth dying for. Talk about somebody believing in you. Wow. And hope. He says, I've promised you a glorious eternity. After your body is destroyed, you're going to see God going to be with me in glory forever. He promises that. He's given me a hope for the future. And as far as eternity, he created eternity. And he says, you'll be with me forever. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Doesn't get any better than that. No one could ever love you more than Jesus Christ, who exemplifies this verse, verse 7. But not only that, the great thing is when I really understand the resurrection, when I really understand what he has done for me, 
he enables me to begin to love with that same kind of love. If loving you means protecting you, well, some of you might be worth protecting. Others, maybe not. But I don't know how many people are worth protecting if it means going to my death. Except thanks to the resurrection, death is no threat. I can face it. I know that I can love others with the same love that he has loved me with. And as a result, really as perfect love does, in all, I can go, I got you covered too. Because the same one who forgave my sins has forgiven yours. And as a result, I can protect others. I can risk myself in order to be there for others. If I understand the resurrection, I will do no less for anyone. And, you know, believing, having faith, trusting. I can trust you because I'm not depending on you. Trusting you isn't my end-all and be-all, but I can let anybody be who they are. I don't have to worry about them letting me down. I don't have to worry about people failing me and shattering my faith because my faith isn't in people. But because I have faith in God, I have no problem trusting people. I have no problem, you know, passing off to them the faith and belief that I have in, in Jesus Christ. The resurrection makes that possible. And hope, because of the resurrection, I can tell you, things are going to get better if you accept Jesus Christ, if you know him, if you're his child. It's as simple as that. Things are going to get better. Jesus loves you so much. He wants to bless you. He's dreaming up ways to make your life better, to fix what's wrong with you. God causes, Romans 8, 28 says, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So what's happened in your life, even if it's hurt really bad, I'm telling you, I know God has a really good plan that ultimately will cause you to look back and every stupid thing you've ever done, you'll go, it's actually kind of glad that that happened. It's a good thing. God was able to untangle that mess and he was able to work this out for my good and for his glory. And you know what? If the resurrection's true, then I don't have to stop short of forever. We'll endure. We're going to make it. I believe that we, as children of God, no matter what we're going through, because the price has been paid, I know we're going to make it. I don't ever have to feel like, oh man, are we in trouble now? Because we have a a God who conquered death. Because we have someone who loves us so deeply. That's why, ultimately, God showed his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But he sealed the deal by rising from the dead. And if you can believe that, then nothing else should be a problem. Reaching out to others and caring about them shouldn't be difficult. Because he rose from the dead. Jesus is alive. And he used to be dead. You can't kill him. Like in the old Larry Norman song. 
They, they, laid him in the, they put him on the cross and they laid him in the ground, but they should have known you can't keep a good man down. <laughs> can't. And if we are his children, can't keep us down. We can't be defeated. We're indestructible, ultimately, because that which everyone else fears dying is our deliverance, is our reward, is our victory. Changes everything about the way we understand we are loved and about the way that we are freed up to love others. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for giving yourself for us and and then rising from the dead to prove it worked and giving us that assurance that if we've just asked you to be the Lord of our lives, if we've given you permission to work in our lives, our future is glorious, our victory is certain. Lord, help us to know that, to really believe it, to, to plan on it, to count on it, Help us to feel so safe because we're protected by you that we are able to extend ourselves to stick up for others and to protect them as well and to show them that eternal Easter love, that resurrection power that means that we're all loved and we all can love. We thank you, God, for what you've done, for covering us, for saving us. In Jesus' name, amen.